Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and everything it takes to wrap your business around increasing customer perceived value. Today, I have got Brian Wright, who is serial entrepreneur, uh, expert in photography and video, and we're going to talk about a couple of his businesses, um, but he has some deep domain experience in video, video production. Uh, Brian, welcome. Thanks. I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's good to be here this morning. Well, it's good to have you. And, you know, we had met through uh, some business contacts and we we're talking a little bit about all of my video problems. And I thought, man, with this guy's expertise, we, we need to bring you on and help people understand um, that narrow slice, which is video, which is a deceptively large uh, uh, significance. It's a it's a big slice that seems like it might be a small slice. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it, Brian. Um, I have an, another colleague who is um, he he does video cards like little video screens. Think of an think of an iPhone in a in a box for whatever use, and so he produces video stuff for his clients. Yeah, and he he's uh, Google certified. And he uh, spares no opportunity to tell me how important video is and has been come, becoming to Google. So tell us a little bit about, why don't, you, why don't we stop for a second and before we go to that, tell us a little bit about your history and what brought you to where you are now. Well, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a, for me at least, that's a fun story. This is, uh, I've been a lifelong creator and uh, the things that fire me up are making things from nothing so that's cooking that's uh live musicianship that's audio engineering that's um art like drawing painting i mean all the things that i enjoy usually revolve around creating something as a career though i've spent my life as a um as a content person for a lot of big corporations in silicon valley uh writing marketing content website content ui ux content um, catalog content, every imaginable kind of thing that you can think to write. I've kind of done it here. And uh, I got into, uh, I got into uh, photography because I got into mountain climbing. And uh, it, it's, it's hard to capture these massive places in uh, photos and show your friends and family what it is that you're doing out there all by yourself all that time. And I wanted to get good at that. So I got good at that while I was a writer for uh, PayPal and eBay. And um, I was doing that as my regular job and then got out into the wild, got good at photography, started taking pictures and pressed the video record button a couple of hundred times on this thing and accidentally got enough footage on a two-week expedition to uh, Alaska, 200 miles south of the Arctic Circle on an expedition that I was like, uh, I think I have enough for a video. So I made the video, brought it back, showed it to the company. They thought, I mean, this is just a lunchtime thing, you know, just for... Yeah just for fun. And, 
one of the VPs got wind of it and they said, we uh, have uh, some footage that a bunch of executives have shot about a new product that we're launching and they're going to um, <clears throat> launch this to the PayPal world internally in about four days. Can you help us cut this? Wink, wink. And I said, let me take a look at it. The footage was completely unusable. Um, so I, uh, I, ha I had to kind of magically uh, figure out how to get a, um, how to get a, uh, uh, like my hands on these executives to reshoot this in a couple of days. And I don't know if you know how hard that is. I'm sure you do. You can't get these guys to sit still for even a second. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking, man, you know, all of the learning you have to do to shoot great video, and now you have to learn all the internal corporate inter intricacies of of getting on people's calendar right now, yeah, getting, right this minute, people and uh, hurting those cats. Exactly, and that that cat hurting, I got really lucky, honestly. Uh, caught him at a local offsite. It was an executive retreat in a hotel. And I set up out in the uh, courtyard with my own equipment, a bunch of garage lights and some other stuff, reflectors and things like that, made it look good. And just had each of these executives come out and then tap the next person on the shoulder for you know, a five minute interview, got all the footage we needed, chopped it in a major rush, broadcast it to the world at this all hands meeting. And the entire corporation basically dogpiled on me. They said, how do we do that for my group? I wanna, I wanna do this, I wanna do this. And so I just started, in addition to my regular writing job, um, I was in a sort of a senior position in the, in the, on the writing team, but I just started traveling the world with my own equipment, making films for all these other groups all over the world. And uh, 15 productions into it, I just went to my VP and I said, hey man, I mean, clearly there's a need for this internally. Why don't we just make this my job for real? Give me some money, and give me a space. And he goes, here's a quarter million bucks, go build me a studio. So I did. Um, and it started with just me running and gunning, you know, sherpaing my equipment, a lot of it everywhere for a year or so. Finally got some people, built it up into a 10, 12 person operation in a 2000 square foot world-class, uh, video production studio. And, um, you know, that was the beginning of my real launch into getting good at video. I was spending some big corporate dollars learning how to do it properly getting uh, good producers in, getting good uh, directors in, and, and watching the process, learning it myself as we go. And I spent a bunch of years doing that for them, for eBay and for PayPal around the world um, until I left there in 2016. And I had already learned by then to do it, so I just started my own company. That's pretty cool. And you've started some others since, but let's stick to the video. And um, I was talking about this this friend who, uh, also is in the video business and um, he keeps telling me how important video is in your website uh, to Google and that that was true before three months ago before the world locked down and we all started doing zoom calls instead of phone calls so what do you think how important is it in search results and second question how important is it going to be to human beings and human eyeballs that have become more video accultured than ever? I think those are great questions. Uh, in, in terms of search results, it's, it's very important. Um, it's a kind of content that it, it has an interesting double-edged sword quality to it because people want to 
it's a passive way to consume content. It's like watching television. You're not actively seeking out anything. If you go read a book, it's, that is an active, uh, active consumption for content. Watching a video is a passive act of consumption. And, and the difference between the two is you get to let somebody bring something to you instead of you going to something and taking, taking it yourself. So um, it has a double-edged quality to it in the sense that uh, when you get somebody that wants to watch a video, you had better make sure that it's interesting and you had better make sure that it's engaging or you're going to instantaneously lose them um, much quicker than probably copy actually. Because, yeah, you know, I, I, uh, somebody told me this state, state statement and I love it and it's about your website, but it's probably even more true about video. Nobody comes to your website to learn about you. No, they come to their website, your website to find themselves reflected. That's right. That is exactly right. No, what they're looking to do is that there are a couple of different ways to slice these audiences. In my view, there are people who let's break it down into three groups. There are people who, who don't know you and have never heard of you and don't know that they have a problem that they want to solve. Um, but if you, get them, uh, if you get them the right content in front of them, you can help them understand that they have a problem. You can introduce them to you and warm them up over time. These are audiences that are cold and they take a lot more energy and effort to warm up. The second type know they have a problem, but they don't know how to solve it. Um, they uh, might be looking for a solution, but they don't really know exactly what they're looking for. These are a slightly warmer audience because they're at least aware. You don't have to take them through that problem of helping them understand that you have a problem that you need to solve. You might not have even known this. You don't have to go there. You can go straight to, this is a problem that you're experiencing and here's how you can solve it and here's me. And you can develop that relationship. It still requires some warming, but a really warm audience is your third group. And that audience understands they have a problem and are actively seeking the solution. And what you're talking about when somebody comes to your website, they are not looking for you. They're looking to solve something for themselves. They're looking for an answer to something. If you can be that answer and tell them how to get to the solution, um, you know, you and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, what is the solution to putting a hole in a wall? Well, it's the hole. It's not the drill. And <laughs> so that's, that's kind of where it is with, the, with these audiences. They come to your website looking for themselves. And I think that is true. They're, they're trying to solve something either actively or passively in a way that is, that is going to make their lives better. Yeah. So back to that second question that I interrupted your answer to, uh, how much more important is video going to be now that we're even more, uh, we've, we've spent even more screen time uh, mm -hmm. in our work life than we ever did before this? I think going to be uh, is, is already passed. It, it, we're already in, into the COVID-19 lockdown video consumption it's become in the last three months very, very important. The, cons the, the amount of consumption that has happened um, in the last three months, just because people are bored, because people now have time to look at those problems that they never had time for to solve before, has gone up uh, higher than it's ever been before. I think it will, be it will continue to ramp up in importance um, just because there's now so much opportunity for people to, uh, the, the world has changed in ways that might not come back in, in the sense that co companies have figured out that maybe they can really scale back on their facilities. 
they can have people working at home a lot. And when you have people working at home a lot, they're a lot less likely to be concerned about being seen over their shoulder at work looking at a personal problem website. <laughs> they're going to just go look for this problem. So you're going to see this uh, increase uh, from, from decreased oversight, but also uh, from business importance and from um, life problem-solving importance. Yeah. Is, is there also going to be a challenge because we're also Zoom fatigued that that video is going to have to be um, really focused and tight and engaged because we are, the last thing we want to do is watch another video. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Zoom fatigue is a great way to say it. I hadn't really thought of that term, but that's an awesome way to say it. Uh, yeah. Uh, here's the thing about, uh, this has been true of writing since the beginning. It's especially true of video. Um, and if, if you've ever made a video, you really understand what I'm saying when I say, I think this was a quote that is perhaps erroneously attributed to Mark Twain, but when he was attributed to saying it, he said, uh, I would have written you a shorter letter if only I'd had the time. And what that means is it's really easy to word vomit lots of words out onto a page through a typing keyboard. It's really easy when you've got a bunch of footage with a whole bunch of gold in it wow, I really want to put this in front of my customers. The problem is, and this is a, this is a problem with corporate product people, uh, product managers of all kinds. They want to tell someone everything about their product and you can't. That's not what people want. They don't need to know everything. Just because the product manager thinks that this feature is awesome about their product doesn't mean it's relevant to solve the customer's problems. And so you have to start with the customer's problems and work backwards instead of the other way around. Yeah, I, uh, the, I, you know, I've written a book on, on value, but the book I didn't write was why big companies can't innovate. And one of the contributing dynamics in a corporate culture is that big companies believe that anything worth doing is worth overcomplicating. <laughs> that is absolutely true. <laughs> and said, and I'm a former product manager, and so I'm I'm as guilty of that as anybody. But at least I knew it was a problem. So occasionally I would like burst through that that temptation to word vomit. Well, if you think about it, it's 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 perfectly natural. It makes sense to me as a, it's it seems it's human nature because. As a verbal medium, if you and I are just talking, we can kind of skip through some of the, the important details of, let's say we have a product that has 10 features. You're looking to solve only one or two of those features, but I can kind of breeze through them in a verbal conversation in a way that you can't really suffer through in video because it's a linear thing. You don't have the opportunity to interrupt kind of sort of, you can skip a bit, but you really then have to pick up the thread and go, okay, now where are we in this conversation in a video? You know, it's, it's not as easy as that. Human nature, wants to be able for us in our jobs uh, as, a, as a product manager or anything else to show value, to show this uh, amazing thing. That doesn't necessarily mean that this is a relevant thing that the customer is looking for. Are they even are, uh, matters? Yeah. Uh, um, you got back to something I wanted to make sure I talked about with you, and that is uh, showing the value, showing the outcome. So my definition of value is the desirability of the outcomes from buying your stuff. Yes. Uh, they don't buy your stuff, they buy their own outcomes. And how That's bad right. they want those outcomes is the value. Um, and so I'm thinking to the, the Cadillac commercial where 
uh, they, they target an aspiring urbanite, right? And so they're showing this glitzy nighttime urban scene and going out to a nice restaurant and, you know, that, that slick urbanite sort of a feel. And they want to tell you, you can be this person. Uh, whereas um, from a German car known for being a driving experience, you're going through the Malibu canyons at high rate of speed. Mm -hmm. um, so it's transforming you to that outcome. To the, and so a car, which is a very emotional purchase, that's transforming you into where you want to be. When we're in um, more normal B2B, you still have to communicate that outcome in a video and that can be the emotion, uh, like the car commercial example, but maybe you have to show somebody uh, avoid, you know, not, how do you a video show somebody avoiding a risk? Mm. Uh, or maybe you show the disaster of the risk saying, you know, don't be that guy, but it's, it can be a very challenging thing to tell that story in a crisp, brief, impactful way, rather than the long droning, uh, thing like I'm doing right now. No, no, that, that you're right on point with all of this. And I think that there's there's an interesting nuance in what you just said about the the, the car idea. And you can actually extend this out to to um, lots of different kinds of businesses. I think I, ha I have a pretty good idea of the cars that you're talking about. Um, and I, it seems to me that in that scenario, um, there's another factor that plays into this. And, and uh, so one of them is a case of knowing your audience and marketing to your audience, AKA the driver's car. Um, that's who we want to be as a brand. That's who we want to take our message to because we know we are that and we've been that forever and it's probably not going to change versus an aspirational brand uh, attribute that might come from a different kind of car company who is looking to change their image. So the state in which a company's brand exists is also a factor in the way these messages play out. This is why you see so many, lifestyle type ads. It's funny that you bring this up right now, actually, because I'm working on uh, uh, the, uh, the fourth episode of an ongoing web series for one of the biggest biotech companies on the planet. And we had this idea um, to rip off the famous uh, douche commercial from uh, the 80s. And those are all lifestyle. They're pure imagery of solving a problem or an outcome or having these, these value discussions in a way that, that allows people to approach a sensitive topic in a, in a, in a much more um, approachable way. And, but the, of course, the outcome of that for that company was that the commercial became a legend. It went viral before viral was even a thing. And, and that's, that's their style. That's what they do. And so having to go back and research all these commercials from the eighties for this lifestyle look for uh, you know, a message they're trying to put out has been very enlightening in that sense. You know, it's not just getting uh, setting up a camera. It's figuring out how you're going to tell the story and tell it crispy. What, what a, uh, what a great lesson for all of us. And um, combine that with what we already discussed that it's becoming more important that this is a key to success. Um, man, this is worth something worth investing a little bit of time to make sure you're doing it right. Yeah. Uh, if, I, if I were to advise uh, folks on how to tighten up their messages, um, for me, that one of the top things, and this is actually true of uh, the written word content as well, but it's, it's very true of video especially because um, 
like I said, it's really easy to kind of get caught up in your own writing head. Your writing voice is different than your speaking voice. You don't say things out loud that you, that you hear in your head and write down on a piece of paper for a business thing. People are so busy trying to be institutional and they're so busy trying to sound like a company that they don't bother to be a human. And when the human connection is what makes us connect. Uh, you can't get these messages across without humanity. We're people. We like people. We like we like seeing you know faces responding to our messages. <laughs> and we're more desperate for human contact than ever right now. <laughs> and we're more desperate now for human contact than we ever have been before. And so now is the time to to take some steps to make these messages very crisp. Now, one of those ways that I would go about doing that, when you write something that you think is going to be a script, um, I, for me, the number one thing: read it out loud to someone and ask them if it sounds weird. And if it sounds weird to you when you say it out loud, it's gonna sound weird when you record it. People do not speak in, in terms of uh, very strange institutional content. If you go read out loud some um, company's you know, brand or mission statement, you're gonna sound like a total doofus. <laughs> That's a nice way of saying it. Yeah, you're gonna sound like a total doofus. Uh, because if you're the way I like to think about it is if you're hanging out in a bar next to somebody that you just met and they asked you what you do, do you say, well, I produce video for a corporation that is a multinational, you don't talk like that. Nobody says those words, say it in a human way, say it in an approachable way, say it in a conversational way. And then your script will be smaller and tighter because, you know, I've actually as a director on many, many, many shoots, the ca or the, you know, the subject will think the camera is off. I never stop rolling the camera, by the way. And they'll like, I'll go, so how would you say that? You know, pretending the camera's off, I'm kind of feeding there. I just let them, okay, shake it out. And how would you say that? And they go blah, 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 in like three sentences. They just said what they were trying to read in their script in a paragraph. And I said, why don't you just say it like that? And they go, wait, what, what are you talking about? Just, just say that you just said it you like in you just told me exactly what the value of this thing is in a very brief way so reading things out loud is a key key thing also it's if another thing came to mind right away that i tell people all the time you have to start from the customer's end first what do they want to know because nobody cares what you want to tell them <laughs> that's right so <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt, but uh, just for everybody, when I was doing uh, sales training, a lot more sales training, I still do sales training, but uh, I, we would do um, one course included a module on how to um, call somebody and have that initial conversation to pitch for the time for your first appointment. So call, cold calling a stranger or prospecting a stranger that you've researched. So that's hard. Maybe have cold, cold calling because you have to research and have some insight and have that insightful question. And uh, I told them, and this was a two day course. And so we would cover this in the first day. And the, the overnight assignment was, I want you to compose that pitch call your office voicemail and leave it to yourself. <laughs> Listen to yourself. That's great. And do it over and over again until you're happy with what you got. And uh, what great conversations the second day, like, oh my God, that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in a sales training course. Oh, it, but then we, we got over that hump. 
Um, that is brilliant. That's a that's a really great method. That's, I love that idea. I might steal that actually. <laughs> by all means. Um, and you could do the same thing for when you're practicing your, I, I hate the term elevator pitch, but when you're trying to tell people what you do in, you know, 20 seconds or less, just uh, practice it into your voicemail. And practice listen, it in your voicemail. That's a yourself. brilliant, brilliant idea. Keep in mind, in your mind, sit in a bar next to a stranger. Oh, nice to meet you. What do you do? Well, Terrible see. language awesome institutional speak really boring glaze over the eyes kind of words or are we actually having a conversation like people as i help stakeholders off <laughs> optimize yeah. their key constituents of my business are as I, I, I help the stakeholders optimize shareholder value by yeah synergizing. oh i'm so tired i gotta go i'm gonna i gotta go <laughs> well, that's that's the person next to you so keeping those messages concise and clear is so so crucial yeah so um here's the how, does the emperor have no clothes you have another business hat, i do hat bright which is a liner for every hat we basically put it inside the hat and it um protects the hat from all of the hat sweat. And so uh, how good is your video content for Hatbrite? I don't know. I would I would love to run it past you actually. Um, I, I struggle with the same things that I'm talking about here, how to cut down something. Now, the, the worst part about this is you say this about product managers that they want to tell everybody everything. I am now a product manager for my own product Hatbrite. Um, and you get passionate about this thing and you're too close to it and you want everybody to know all the things. So I look at my video content, I've managed to cut it down to some really short topics, 10, 15 second videos. Yep. Um, <clears throat> I have a uh, 15 second Facebook ad pitch that includes tons of giant text all over my face for people who are scrolling by with their sound off. So you kind of have to, you really have to knuckle down and it feels like you're abandoning your product or abandoning the passion sometimes when you go, well, how do I cut this down into a digestible message? They're going to miss this. They're going to miss that. Not really. Not really. Yeah. I, um, I have a, a tool that I use with my clients and they really love it because uh, going back to what we'd said earlier, right? Especially the new salespeople. And we love to talk about what we have. And it's not because we're, it, it's only partially because we're proud of what we sell. It's because we're proud of what we've learned about what we sold. My first couple times doing this. Are you saying, uh, are you saying that's an ego play? Uh, kind of. The, the first couple times I um, delivered this sales training for Miller Hyman, uh, it was me talking and not asking questions and getting feedback. And it was a less than stellar experience for the participants because it was me talk, they listened. And I realized it wasn't because I was a bad facilitator, it's because I was a new facilitator and I wanted to show everybody what I knew. I was, the, the goal wasn't getting them to know any portion of that. Yes, it was, it was about me telling them what I knew. And um, as sales professionals, we do the same thing. We tell a customer all the stuff we know, especially when we're kind of new to a product or a company. Uh, we want to show how well we learned the product training. Mm -hmm. And uh, this tool that I use in my customers, this value network, says, I want you to know what's differentiated about your product. What's different? And articulate that 
and we're going to grind you through uh, some discipline saying, is it really unique or are you just saying unique? Is that marketing unique or is that really unique? And what's, what's, you, what's really unique about what you thought was So we go through that and distill their differentiation down, but that is the last you're allowed to talk in terms of seller attributes. Now we're going to do, the rest of this entire exercise is gonna be in customer language. For that feature, what customer outcomes does that result in? Right, I, the example was, you know, a carpet that wears longer, well, there's more dollars per year for your carpet. Well, but there's also a business interruption and all the stuff that happens when you have to pull out a carpet and replace it, that two day downtime, and if that's underneath your customer service department, that's a big, big deal. That's actually, the, the deal is bigger than the price of the carpet. So now we have to help people understand carpet wear. No, it's about business disruption. It's about um, if you care about the environment. It's about uh, a couple extra trips to the dumps, you know, to the to the landfill with a huge pile of used carpeting. Um, so there's all these customer outcomes because that is what the customer care for. They come to your website looking for those kind of outcomes, not for long wear life. <laughs> the, the best fiber ever put into a carpet. Yeah. <laughs> so um, with your, with, with Hatbright, with any product, all right, that sounds pretty cool. What does that mean for a customer? Fewer washes, looks better. Fewer hat purchases. Um, less stuff in a landfill. I care intensely about keeping this product uh, environmentally friendly. So it's, it's sustainable. There are products like mine out there that are made of synthetics and polyester, which is plastic and chemicals to do the absorption on the inside, which are bad for the environment and they're single use. And so they're disposable. They get chucked away in mass quantities after one use and they do an okay job, but they're also pure chemical and pure plastic. And for me, I wanted to solve that problem for myself. I actually started that product just because I needed to solve my own problem. Uh, and then I realized there was a product in it. Yep. So um, all those are great outcomes. And those are the outcomes that you care about. Mm -hmm. uh, whether or not you actually show a picture of your product is of secondary importance. Mm -hmm. Showing the picture of the outside of the hat clean. Showing yeah. the picture of you happy, showing the picture of all the hats that you didn't throw away, if there's a way of videoing a, something that doesn't exist. But um, I, uh, I, like to, um, I like to show uh, imagery of something that everyone who has ever owned a hat is familiar with, and that is a hat that is faded and that you can't smell it, but it's, it's, they know. <laughs> you see that visual and all of a sudden you go, Ew, that You is can't smell it, but just through this video, you know you could smell it if you were there. It's funny about that particular product. Everyone goes, a hat protection? I don't really understand. And then you show them that picture and they go, oh, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so there it is. Yeah. Um, how to communicate the problem visually. And mm -hmm. um, Brian, what a pleasure this has been. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we, uh, before we cut it down, shut it down? I, um, I, I love making video and stories for, for big organizations and the way to get your best stories out is to, I mean, cut, 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 cut. I think, you know, for your average marketing film is um, um, longer than a minute and a half or two, it's probably too long. Um, 
there are lots of different ways that you can slice this. I, um, it's been a, a uh, an interesting talk just, uh, to kind of, you got me thinking about some stuff here. So I'm a little bit discombobulated. My mind's going a thousand miles an hour. Well, uh, I really appreciate that, 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 well, I'm going to say, I'm going to take that as a compliment. That is a huge compliment. You've got me like, I'm like, wow, how can I take some of the stuff that you've taught me today too? So by all means, let's connect. And if I can help you sort through any of those, uh, I, I make the same offer to everybody. I, why wouldn't I do it to somebody who uh, was so generous with their time to be a guest? So, uh, Brian, I appreciate you having me here. This has been really fun. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And thanks everybody for joining us on the value clarity podcast, where we reiterate time and time again, that value is all in your customer's mind, which means your success exists all in your customer's head. So go and have a valuable day, everybody. Thanks. Well, it ain't easy, cause value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customer's outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, cause you'll be singing those old, don't know value blues. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.